channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on May 28th, 2021, and is current through Star Trek Discovery Season 3, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are multiple television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is known on Star Trek Twitter as Captain Pike's biggest fan. It's Captain Pikachu. Captain, welcome to Weekly Trek. Pika Pika. <laughs> All right, Captain. Well, I ask my guests this question every week. I want to know something that's got you feeling excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Well, my thing has been watching the first two episodes of Discovery Season 1 because I'm working on an article about Michael Burnham and how she did not start the Klingon War, which <laughs> seems to be what some people mistakenly believe as fact, which is not fact. <laughs> and how is it revisiting those episodes now, three seasons into Discovery? I think I find more appreciation for them because I always thought the pilot was really good. I always thought that they had really good story, but looking back on it and seeing where the character is now and where she was before, it's so cool to see the beginning of that journey and like the, all the things that she's learned throughout that time period in between. And it's so much fun because, you know, she's always talking about like, oh, we were talking about getting your own command and now she has her own command. And so it's pretty awesome. And the story is great and the effects are still awesome. So just revisiting that has been a lot of fun. And in writing this article, just like exploring who Michael was at the very beginning of her journey and knowing where she ends up is it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I completely agree with your thesis to my mind. It's obvious from the first scene of the Vulcan. Hello, that speech that Takuvma gives about the Federation talking about coming in peace, but really having ulterior motives. It's super clear to me that the only reason he's where he is is to start a fight with somebody. And by lighting the beacon, yes, it is designed to bring the other Klingon houses there, but he's also doing it knowing he's going to attract the attention of Starfleet. I don't think he had any intentions other than picking a fight with the Federation when he chose the location for that meeting that he did. And so, yeah, I mean, as much as what Burnham herself did on the ship may not have been the right course of action, it was not in and of itself the cause for the Federation Klingon War. I think that was Takuvma's fault. Yeah, I mean, Takuvma wanted to start a war. That was his very intention, like he said from the very beginning, was that he, they basically lured somebody in the Federation out there with the purpose of starting a war because they, you know, they say in the episode, oh, you know, they know somebody knows that if you knock down a relay station, you know, the Federation is going to come in and check their tech. So it just so happens that Michael was 
essentially the wrong place at the wrong time. She right. was just unlucky. And it wasn't that she started anything. Takuma was always going to start a war, no, no matter what she did. And her mutiny, to be fair, it wasn't really even successful. <laughs> like, he didn't right. do anything. Like, she, she got, like, halfway there, but then, like, her captain woke up. So it's not like she was actually successful in, like, targeting or firing on anybody. And so, yeah, that was always, to me... Like, she always blamed herself for it. And I understood why she blamed herself for it, because she always felt very guilty about it. And obviously, a lot of the characters in-universe blamed her for it, because they didn't have a visual on everything that was going on, or they didn't obviously didn't know what Takuma was planning. So within the universe, it made sense that people would blame her. But I always thought it was just really strange that the audience blamed her for it i was like well we just saw all this thing go down like we're the omnipotent viewer who knows everything so we know it's not her fault even if everybody else in the stories thinks so even if she thinks though so it, it was always very strange to me so i always felt like no I, I have to like make this point very clear she's not actually the person at fault for this yeah that's a great point and those two episodes are sort of a, a great introduction to the show as a whole really, sort of a really nice kind of like you know feature-length movie at the start of discovery and what a cool way to say hello again to star trek after you know what was it 12 years in between the two shows so yeah they're great pick love it the thing I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week is on a totally different track, far less lofty and intellectual height. Hero Collector have announced they're doing an advent calendar of little Star Trek collectibles for the Christmas season this year. I think it's going to retail for something like $100 and it's got, they, they just released a couple of images today uh, sort of previewing some of the items that are inside. It's not chocolates or anything like that, like your traditional advent calendar. It's more like the kind of like Lego Star Wars advent calendars in that they're little collectibles in each of the windows and I saw a pair of coasters and like a fridge magnet and a mini mug and it looks pretty cool and uh, I think um, I think I might definitely pick something like that up I've been a you know a big fan of advent calendars as a kid and you know, it'd be nice to revisit that nostalgia so looking forward to that from Hero Collector Captain are you much of a collector of things? Oh yeah definitely <laughs> I have a huge collection of Funko Pops <laughs> Alright <laughs> This sounds really cool though I, I like that little collectible things. Those are always really, really cute. I can't wait to see what else is in that calendar. I might get it myself now that you reminded me that this thing exists. Well, luckily we've got a few months before it comes out to get ready for it. All right, well with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on and I'm a reporter. We still don't know when Star Trek Prodigy will premiere, my predictions on previous episodes that it would debut this week turned out obviously not to be correct, but we continue to get a slow drip of information about the upcoming animated kids show through interviews with cast and creatives. The latest star to spill the beans is Kate Mulgrew, aka Captain Janeway herself, in an appearance on the Dennis Miller Plus One podcast, which sadly is distributed through the Russian propaganda network RT, but less said about that the better, Kate Mulgrew spoke about her character's entrance on the new show. Uh, but in Prodigy, which is the name of this animated series, um, five kids are uh, incarcerated on, an, uh, on a planet, on an obscure planet in an uncharted part of the galaxy. And they escape from their imprisonment and race across the planet to find a defunct starship buried in the sand of the 
of the planet's surface. And they go in, and of course, the prison guards are coming after them, and they can't get it up, and the shields won't run, and the thing won't do. And suddenly, somebody hits a button, and blue, blue, Hello, kids. I see you're a little bit stuck here. Can I help you out? And it's Captain Janeway uh, in a holographic form. So, yeah, holographic form. So it's really, really, I think, going to capture the imagination of little kids. And if they can sit with their mothers who watched me in live action and their fathers who loved uh, arguably the other guys, then we've got a family affair and that that will bring it full circle. It'll be terrific. Wow, okay. That is very cool. We are slowly starting to get more of a feel for what this show is going to be, and fingers crossed we don't have too long to wait for our first trailer. Captain, what did you think about Kate Mulgrew's latest comments on Star Trek Prodigy? That just makes me even more excited. I've been very, very excited about Prodigy because there's just so much new things that it can explore, especially for a younger audience, and this just fits something that I feel like kids are going to love because it's like, oh, well, they get to escape from somewhere and they get to run off and find a starship. And it, it just sounds like, you know, <laughs> kids who want to rebel sometimes and be like, oh, I've broken free and now I get to go travel somewhere. That sounds like a premise that I feel like a lot of young audiences would definitely latch on to and make the character's journey very, very exciting from the very beginning. So it's also very interesting. I, I wonder where they get imprisoned on and what caused them to be imprisoned in the first place. So it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, it feels like every question I get answered about this show brings up like three or four more new questions, <laughs> right? Like every time I feel like yeah. I'm starting to get a handle on what the show is and where it's set and who the characters are, another curveball comes in and sort of throws me off. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I still don't feel like I really know what this show is going to be about. And I love that because I love the fact that it's going to be something interesting and it's going to be something new. The premise appeals to me as an adult. I'd love to escape from this prison of adult life and <laughs> get on a starship and have Captain Janeway help me figure out how to get around the universe and find meaning and purpose and whatever it was they said in the intro text for the show when it was first announced. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all want to escape from something. I feel like it's like they got it exactly right. We all want to escape and just run off on a starship somewhere and go fly around the universe. And who better to do that with than Captain Janeway? Right. <laughs> So what do you think? I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, it, I'm sort of spoiling the next the next story a little bit because Mike McMahon talked about how for Lower Decks, they do some coordination with Prodigy. And when they're talking about legacy characters, they'll sort of double check with each other whether they're each using that character because the shows are set fairly close together in the timeline. So we know we've got Janeway. We know it's set in the Delta Quadrant, but it sounds like there's going to be some other kind of characters we know too. Like, what would you like to see from some of the other characters that we see? Mm, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like I'm just excited to see anything. And right. I was just very excited to hear them talk about the fact that, you know, they are coordinating, they are making sure that they don't step on each other's toes. And that's always encouraging and great to hear, especially in a big franchise now that has multiple shows going around. You want everybody to have an idea of where each other is and so that there's a level of coherency when they're operating and also just the, it sounds really fun that they have like some showrunners retreat where just like all the <laughs> head writers and showrunners are just kind of hanging out somewhere. That sounds like a really cool place that I want to 
be like a fly on the wall for. Yeah, those would be cool meetings to sit in on. And and I think they sort of ended up being necessary. I loved the way that the Lower Decks finale and the Picard finale sort of rhymed with each other by the appearance of yeah. Captain Riker at the last second to kind of <laughs> save the day. But my guess is if they had had the showrunners meetings while both of the show's first seasons were going, they probably might have changed up the ending for one of them because they were sort of similar in that regard, even though I think, as I say, I think the fact that they kind of rhymed was quite fun. But yeah, I'd love to be on a fly on the wall in those meetings. Now that I think about it, you know, maybe Riker could show up in Prodigy. (laughs) He's he's shown up everywhere else now. Yeah, exactly. How do we know that the starship doesn't have like some Riker hologram program (laughs) training thing for like cooking pizza (laughs) or something like that it's entirely possible (laughs) now that i think about it i was like we we do have to keep this tradition of having jonathan frakes in everything so (laughs) whether that's like as thomas Riker or as the holographic will Riker (laughs) thing and he can't direct because you know it's an animated show so the only thing he can do is make an appearance (laughs) so yeah i think uh yeah Riker the emergency pizza cooking hologram yeah he's gonna teach the kids how to make bunny corn pizza (laughs) i feel like it's important every child should know how to make pizza (laughs) they should be introduced to the importance of pizza at the very least first lesson the principles of the federation second lesson how to make a good pie important for you know children in the delta quadrant to really comprehend what the federation is our moral principles and pizza and important for earth children learning the important facts of life exactly (laughs) (laughs) well to publicize last week's release of star trek lower deck season one on blu-ray series creator and showrunner mike mcmahon as we were just talking about has been doing the interview rounds and speaking a little bit about lower decks season two in the process speaking in an interview with trekmovie.com mcmahon was asked about how he approaches legacy characters and their potential appearances in season two i would love to work with all of these folks mcmahon said I would love for this show to go seven seasons and for us to do little check-ins on people as we're going that makes sense. But I only want to write them in a way that it really feels worth having back. So it feels like our show changed to fit how they are and not the other way around. And on top of that, I wouldn't want to write them so drastically that you just aren't feeling like you're not catching them on a certain day. Like this is a funnier day for Riker. This is what he's like in this six months of his life. So maybe, according to McMahon, don't get your hopes up for a Picard appearance in Lower Decks. (laughs) But in addition, McMahon was asked about whether we might start to see some of the Riker backstory that was hinted at in season one of Star Trek Picard in Lower Decks, including potentially the Riker's pregnancy with their first child, Thaddeus Riker. In response, McMahon talked about how Secret Hideout has set up a showrunner's meeting, which we were just talking about, to allow the different shows to coordinate, and also said that, quote, the stuff you're going to be seeing in season two of The Titan is stuff that happened. It's probably a little more ebullient, it's told through our show's point of view, and it's probably a little bit before the stuff that Michael Chabon wrote for Riker and for Troy as they are heading into where you find them in Picard. McMahon was also asked about whether and how Lower Decks is coordinating with Prodigy, which is set in a similar time frame in the late 24th century. Quote, There have been a couple of times we'll turn in a story area to Secret Hideout and I'll get a call from an executive telling me the Prodigy guys were also talking about taking a look at this or that character, McMahon said. So then the Hageman brothers and I will jump on the phone and we'll talk about what are you going to be using this character? What timeline will it be? What's important for you guys? Sometimes it'll be like, okay, we'll just make sure that when we're using 
using them, there's an understandable reason that they could get to you guys in that way. And other times it's like, wow, I love the way you guys are using that character, or they love the way we're using it, and we'll just switch out the character for somebody else. So it's a little bit of a dance. And who will replace the dearly departed security chief, Lieutenant Shaxx, in season two? Well, McMahon won't say for sure, but he does say it'll be a new character from an existing race in the Star Trek canon. Captain, what did you think about Mike McMahon's comments on Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2? I just love his comments. I I love him talking about the fact that, you know, they only really want to use legacy characters when it's appropriate for the story that they're telling. Because I think that's one of the important things when it comes to using nostalgia from this huge franchise is that you don't want to just use it to use nostalgia you want to have it serve the story and it's one of the reasons why i really love the way they handle some of the older characters classic characters in picard was they didn't just throw everybody in there and be like oh everybody's here it's a reunion it's fun but they had a story and then they figured which character belongs in this story at this time that can serve this narrative. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate because oftentimes, you know, different stories will just add characters for the sake of, oh, look, somebody's going to remember who this character is or they just want to see this character. So I like that Mike McMahon understands that you should only use these characters when appropriate to the stories being told and that they're aware that, you know, Lower Decks is a bit more comedic and slightly exaggerated so that you don't want characters to feel like characters, but you also want them to have fun. So I I love those comments because it, it feels like they're on the same wavelength as me. So it makes me feel a lot safe about the direction of where the shows are going that, you know, they're not just motivated by, oh, this is classic. So we want to feel like it's the old school times again but no it's the story has to come first and I like that again you know all the different showrunners have that connection with each other and that clearly this is a very collaborative atmosphere and I remember one of the things that was like said in some previous interview with other producers and stuff was them saying that you know Alex Kurtzman fosters this collaborative atmosphere within all the different groups of you know writers and producers and I think we see that play out here with what Mike McMahon is saying about how hey you know if we go somewhere within this story we get calls from execs and we get to talk with different showrunners about all the different things that they're doing so that we have an awareness of where everybody's story is and then oh maybe their idea works better than the one that we have so they get to play with this character and we try and go find something else. And it seems like they're very adaptable and they're very collaborative, which is what you want shows in, you know, being made to be because you don't want to be like, oh, everybody's you know fighting with each other over things or, you know, they don't get along or they're not working for the betterment of the story. So I, I think it's one of the great things that I really, really enjoy just hearing the behind the scenes process. And also all the stuff about Troy and Riker on the Titan. I think the so far, all the stuff that we've seen was really from when Thad was alive as a little kid. So I feel like even if they go explore stuff on the Titan, there's 
quite a bit of period before we hit the stuff that Michael Chabon wrote about what Thad was like, because this is at least before he was born in 2381. So I, I think we're, we're before Thad appears. So there's a lot of room for them to play around with, you know, how Troy and Riker are before they become fully parents properly. Yeah, I, that's a great point. And McMahon himself kind of talked about that. You know, he talked about it when the show first premiered about the setting for it and this sort of 2380 time frame, And the reasoning for that being that it's like just after a bunch of really important stuff has happened, but it's also just before the next sort of really important stuff happens. And so as a result, it gives him a bit of room to play and you know not have like the dominion war or the romulan supernova be something that would otherwise weigh down the comedy of the show and make it much more serious and i think on the characters as you were saying my i think my expectation based on what he said is we will probably get more legacy characters in season two than we did in season one because he's talked about how in season one he wanted the Mm -hmm. show to establish itself and people to be comfortable with the characters before they started throwing in too many of the old characters but at the same time that point you make is a really great one and i and i think it's one that McMahon himself is making too, which is it shouldn't feel weird to have the character that character in the show at that particular point. It should feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, if it's A, not serving the story that Lower Dex is trying to tell, but if it's also B, not servicing the character themselves, if it's overly cartoonish and, you know, overly different from the way that character has seemed in previous appearances, then it seems like his position on it is you shouldn't use that character. And I think that's absolutely the right way to go about it because the show is supposed to be a canon show while some of the characters can be a bit more exaggerated, right? Like some of the Riker jokes from the season finale. They shouldn't be so exaggerated as to feel completely out of character for that character themselves. And I think that is a difficult line to walk, but it's one they've managed to so far. And I mean, given the success of Lower Decks season one, I have no doubt (laughs) it will continue in season two. Definitely. I think I think they've been handling a lot of the characters really, really well. And, you know, they, they sort of let them let their hair down and have a bit of fun. But they also feel like the characters that we know, it just you probably caught them on a day where they're, you know, having a really good time. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we also have a small Star Trek Discovery update to share this week. According to showrunner Michelle Paradise, scripting on Star Trek Discovery Season 4 is now complete. The show is expected to continue shooting for at least another month, but the writer's room appears to have finished the bulk of their work on season four. He's hoping it won't be long before they get underway on season five. In addition, Jet Reno actress Tig Notaro indicated in a recent interview with the AV Club that she is now up in Toronto and shooting for Discovery. Late last year, Tig had talked about how she had cancelled one of her two planned trips to Canada to shoot on Discovery because of the pandemic, so it's exciting to hear that she made it and that we'll get to see Reno in season four. Captain, I'm going to ask you a really simple question. I think I know the answer, but I'm asking it anyway. Are you looking forward to Star Trek Discovery season four? Totally. I cannot wait (laughs) to see what season four is all about. That trailer was great. I was screaming all over the place when I saw it. it. It just looks exciting. It looks fun. It looks interesting. And I'm really curious to see where the story goes now because there's really nothing holding them back anymore. You know, there's nothing to say they can't do this or they can't do that. They're in a completely new place. They get to make their own canon. 
And it's it's super exciting that we're just we're in this era of Star Trek where anything is possible, you know, sort so of like I, I was going to say sky is the limit, but I think we've gone beyond sky <laughs> <laughs> being the limit. It's like anything. It's all unlimited now because we're just we're able to do everything. It, it feels like I feel like this is what Star Trek fans in the 60s must have felt whenever there was a new season because you just didn't know where things were going to go, what the universe was going to be like, where the next story was going to be like. And this feels the same way. It feels like we have no idea what's coming. You know, we can't predict anymore what's coming because the setting is different. It's new. The universe is different now. So there's not a lot of things where like, you know, if a show is set, in the time period of say prodigy or lower decks or picard you can kind of figure out where some things might be and what some stories they might explore but here now it's just the door's been blown off the hinges it's you know it's all wide open anything is possible so i'm really excited to see that you know the story is finished for season four so that you know they can do all their filming and hopefully we'll get the show soon i guess probably you know october or november but i am just very excited and i can't wait for when they finally announce season five <laughs> how are you liking the new uniforms oh i i love the new uniforms i think they're brilliant i love the color i love the way they like just pop off the screen you know like they're instantly shiny and recognizable a part of me is somewhat OSHA concern because it looks like they're back to the hey look at me I'm a you know giant target practice color <laughs> scheme <laughs> that you know I I felt like all the TOS uniforms tended to be like especially the discovery ones which are really really bright uh-huh. <laughs> but you know I I also felt like at the end of last season when everybody switched into the gray uniforms I felt like it didn't fit the set of that bridge because it felt like everybody just blended into the background which i mean i guess osha wise you know it's great camouflage in case you know you've got invaders on your ship you know (laughs) you can just kind of camouflage (laughs) in plain sight but at the same time it's like yeah but you you want to make sure that your characters aren't just blending into the background in every shot that they can't pop off the screen when you're watching them so in that sense, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that they added color to the uniforms now because I think it looks great. And then I think, you know, thematically, I think it sends a message that we're back to that era of Starfleet being the beacon of hope and the friendly exploration and discovery and looking at strange new worlds and different things that you know, the, all the bright colors that represents rather than sort of the gray muted colors that represented last season when the Federation is kind of like a shadow of itself. So I, I do like that at the new uniforms, they look great and they, they represent a great story theme, even if the OSHA concerning part of me is some way <laughs> very concerned about their ability to be a bit more target practice. So I, I hope, you know, maybe 
less red shirts dying or less anybody dying. Yeah, it might not be the most sensible of color choices, but I do like the return <laughs> no. of the primary colors. Not particularly. I was a bit I was a bit <laughs> concerned. But I do think that in the trailer we do see that when they go out, they are in these blue tactical vests and stuff that look like the old school uh Discovery era colors. Yeah. So I, I felt like okay, if they go out somewhere wearing the tactical vest suit, then I would probably be less concerned because they're then they're not being so obviously bright colored. So yeah, you know what? They they can have their bright colors on the ship as long as they uh change the uniforms a little when they, you know, go run off and be cool sword playing people to save the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they have learned a thing or two in the last nine hundred years, is what we're saying. <laughs> well, hopefully. I, I would like to hope so. I'm hoping some word that you know this new upgrade will also show us having seat belts soon <laughs> never never i hope they uh, never bring in seat belts <laughs> rio's had seat belts you know true. that was a true captain he understood <laughs> the importance he had handrails he had seat belts you know he understood safety <laughs> Well, and lastly this week, Star Trek Comics licensee IDW Publishing have announced a return to the Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror Universe after a several-year absence. A new 13-issue series entitled The Mirror War will launch this September, written by Scott and David Tipton, who wrote the previous TNG Mirror Universe entries, and with page art by Carlos Nieto and cover art by J.K. Woodward. According to the official IDW announcement, issue zero, quote, features a new story of Mira Picard as he's summoned to Earth to face the wrath of his emperor, deftly weaving threads from past Mirror Universe tales in a way entertaining to newcomers and the initiated alike. Following September's number zero launch, the series will continue to build year-long tension with issues one to eight and four interspersed tie-in specials, each highlighting a different member of the Next Generation cast. The first spin-off one-shot slated for December will focus on Data. Once complete, the 13-part saga will chart Mira Picard's path of conquest across all of the Mirror Universe, stoking the wrath of the Klingon-Cardassian alliance along the way. Captain, are you much of a fan of Star Trek comics? Yeah, quite a, quite a bit of them, although I'm still catching up on <laughs> quite a lot. Have you read the TNG Mirror Universe ones? I've not read them, but... I do remember seeing art for them and Picard looks super buff. Yes. <laughs> I, I was like, wow, I that was unexpected. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. I'd recommend checking them out. They've been, I think this is the like fourth kind of story and the first one was really good i thought the third one was a little weak but um i'm excited to see where they go from here I mean, it's definitely a, a bit of a different take on the mirror universe from what we saw on deep space nine because it sort of assumes that the terran empire even still exists and even in a much reduced form where i think deep space nine was sort of telling you that it was completely gone but it's still fun to see and it's fun to see a mirror starfleet take on the tng cast rather than a mirror universe take on the tng cast that has them as you know rebels and as slaves and ore processors working for the Klingon Cardassian alliance it is cool to see that sort of more like mirror mirror style mirror universe piece to it and uh, so yeah it's a lot of fun even if it is I think it's a little kind of bendy on the uh, on the on the <laughs> canon and continuity but who cares because it's a fun story yeah I mean I think I think it's great you know I always I always like it when they explore the alternate universes and timelines and mirror universes especially because you know i i'm particularly fond of the way that discovery explores the mirror universe 
So it's great to get more of that mirror universe story so that it feels like these characters are actual people and not just these weird sort of characters of the characters that we like. And they feel like, you know, fully developed, fleshed out people and not just, oh, this is what somebody would be if they were evil, (laughs) you know, like the sort of the mustache twirling evil. Like, I I like stories that just explores what that universe is like and why is it that people are that way? And and I think, you know, it's one of the things that uh, Race and Trek have done pretty well in, you know, showing that these mirror universe characters, which, you know, we, we always kind of say like, oh, they're like the evil people, but they're also very human and, and very real and have sort of feelings and personalities and things that they want. So I, any, anytime there's more universe, uh, mirror universe stories that, you know, get to explore more of who these characters are, I'm all for it. All right. Well, we've talked about the facts. And now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guest give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So, Captain, in addition to seatbelts on Federation starships, <laughs> let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Well, my wish has always been that <laughs> I'm hoping that Strange New Worlds will give me a shirtless Captain Pike scene. <laughs> <laughs> I have been, I feel like we've been robbed. I feel like, you know, every captain gets their, you know, cool, shirtless, awesome scenes. And we've not had the chance for that. You know, Captain Pike has been very, very fully closed. And <laughs> and I feel like, you know, we're, we're missing a bit. You know, if they're going to be, if they're going to say that, hey, we're like TOS, we're trying to go back to that classic feel. I feel like we need to lose the shirts a bit because, you know, what does Kirk do but lose his shirts? You know, that famous nipple window thing <laughs> going on. <laughs> and, and, and how many times has the uniform been lost here and there? So I, I'm hoping that if we're going to keep tradition of classic Trek, that this is one of the traditions that Strange New Worlds will adhere to. You know, we, we, we got to keep up the, uh, the, the as I call it, the horny legacy of Star Trek, <laughs> <laughs> where we, we got to get our captains to lose their shirts a bit more. And, and why not? You know, Anson Mount looks great. He's amazing. And if you've seen him in other shows, you know, Hell on Wheels, even in Humans, or or his recent movie, The Virtuoso. Man looks great. No reason why we, we can't show it off a little, you know. Or, or, you know, even better, maybe he's shirtless on a horse. Man's a great horse rider. Yep. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get the awesome Pike bonding with a horse moment that I'm sure Anson will love. And we get something that I think all the fans will love, too. So... <laughs> I think it's only fair. Anson is possessed of what I will only describe as raw sexual magnetism. 
<laughs> and and I and I say that as a completely straight well perhaps not completely straight man but as a mostly straight man um that right he is a heartthrob and he has leading man energy and I feel like they yeah. did not lean far enough into that in Star Trek Discovery which of course is understandable it wasn't his show he was just a guest character right yeah I mean well, I, I understood you know they didn't quite do it in Discovery but you know I, I think now that he's got his own show I think we can dial up the charisma meter just a bit more than he already did. <laughs> well, my wish this week is for a happy and safe Star Trek convention in Las Vegas this August. Now that I am fully vaccinated and as it seems that COVID-19 cases are continuing to decline even as restrictions are removed, I think it's fairly likely that I may be making a trip to the now titled 55-year mission convention in Las Vegas, Nevada this August, formerly Star Trek Las Vegas STLV, and I am looking forward to it, and uh, I've got my hotel booked, and I am probably going to get a flight soon, and I think it's going to be fun. I've missed hanging out with Star Trek fans uh, for the last year. last Star Trek convention I went to was STLV 2019, and that was almost two years ago now. (laughs) So it will be nice to get the opportunity to be around friends and fellow fans again, even if I'm sure it will be different than it is normal years, not least because of the changes to STLV itself not being the official Star Trek convention anymore, but I'm hoping there will be some sensible COVID precautions that creation will take just in case. But yeah, other than that, I'm uh, I'm feeling good about it. I'm starting to get excited. It's an odd feeling to feel excited about doing something with other people in person again and traveling, but I think it might be time to enjoy and have some fun. Captain, have you ever thought about going to a Star Trek convention? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, I, I think I probably would have gone to a convention last year if the pandemic hadn't happened (laughs) so um i'm definitely looking forward to hopefully one of these days get to a convention and to just hang out with everyone because it's so much fun you know i i love going to conventions um i went to a lot of them when I was uh, living in California in college. I, I went to a lot of the creation conventions for Supernatural. And so that that was always yeah. really, really fun just to hang out with not only the actors, but the the fans and just build that community of friends and having people there that enjoy the same things as you. It's it's a very special thing. Like I like having these like very show-focused conventions because it, it really helps you feel like you're just part of this one big giant family where like everywhere you go, you know, somebody understands what you like and what you're feeling. And I I feel like it's one of those things where you just don't get in a very big convention, like, you know, San Diego Comic-Con and all those other ones where there's just so much different things overlapping. But like when he's just focused on one thing, you know, everybody around you, you know, is focused on that one thing and they get the same thing that you do. So it feels that like that community is just so much stronger. And I like getting to spend time with people and just sort of hang out in that atmosphere. I don't know when I'll actually go back to a convention, hopefully maybe this year, but I may have to wait until whenever the Star Trek missions can come closer to Texas if they do. But I'm excited that at least it it feels like we're getting back to um, a bit of normalcy. Although I, I hope that, you know, obviously everyone stays safe 
And, and maybe there's some sort of, you know, online component to it. <laughs> well, Dallas has a very nice convention center. They do. And I think yeah. it'd be perfect for an official Star Trek convention. Yeah, I'm hoping. Day. I'm hoping is that it's uh, the new one is in Chicago, right? Yep, but it's supposed to jump around. Yeah, every year, I'm hoping so. that one of those days it'll jump to Dallas and I will get to go and see it. <laughs> do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek. Or email them to me at weeklytrek at thetricordertransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Captain Pikachu, for joining me today. Captain, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Um, Everyone can find me on Twitter at Captain Pikachu. That's P-I-K-E-A-C-H-U. And I must say the Captain Pike and the seatbelt content is second to none. <laughs> Thank you. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Captain. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week live long and prosper. Bye.